You wanted the best, you got the best. In strong language and adult content, the hottest podcast in the world. Slowly, we rock. Yo. Did you just get our name wrong? <laughs> you just call us Slowly Rock. <laughs> slowly Rock. No, you got the Wii in there, I think. Yeah. You probably couldn't tell because of my robot accent. Uh, I'm, de- yeah. I'm definitely editing that over, like, just silence. I'm cutting our intro song out. <laughs> 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 you're supposed, you're supposed to put a very generic uh, early noughties, um, <laughs> like, hip-hop beat over it, please. Uh, yeah, for anyone who was listening to music uh, 21 years ago, <laughs> uh, you may recognise that reference. Uh, it was a reference to the intro track on the greatest album ever recorded, according to Daniel, uh, Limp Biscuits and Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. That's what's right. The, uh, what's the intro track called? Has it got like a clever it's name? It's just intro. Oh, just intro. Interesting. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. We are doing a Limp Bizkit episode and we are looking at Chocolate Fuck Starfish yes. and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water because the album turned 20 years old yesterday. Yesterday? Last year even. And uh, yesteryear, I should have said. And uh, of course it turned October. 20 in the year 2020. Uh, and it was a pretty seminal album for us. And it's also yep. dumb as fuck. So yep. why should we not have a look at it? Um, so buckle in because we're going to take you to the Matthews Bridge. <laughs> uh, before we delve into we dive yeah, before we dive headfirst into the chocolate uh, the hot dog flavored water. Jesus Christ! Um, <laughs> Not diving headfirst into any chocolate starfish. Yeah. Thank oh, you, I don't Jim. dive into any hot dog flavored water either. If I'm completely honest, <laughs> which which would you rather dive into, Dan? <laughs> Um, chocolate starfish or hot dog flavoured water are they both literal or no <laughs> please don't tell you which one's which <laughs> I'll go with a hot dog flavoured water take my chances I guess uh, that's piss semen water oh the, actual, the chocolate starfish where, you know those little um, chocolates you get where they're like uh, stars. Stock- yeah, there's actually those. Yeah. Well, yeah. see, that's what I took a 50-50, so... Yeah. I actually always imagined in my head that that's what the chocolate starfish was and that the hot dog flavoured water was just the kind of brine you get hot dogs in when you get them in a jar. Well, that's what I assumed. I, but... I never thought it was anything, uh, like, anything else. Yeah. No, nor me, until now. And now I'm shocked and appalled that it could be anything else. <laughs> Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm your host through this journey. Uh, I can't even think of like a Limp Bizkit pun. Oh, I thought so, you were trouble, I'm in trouble with your own name. Oh, then. okay. Yeah. Sorry, uh, just your sorry, own I, was, I, was, uh, your host, I was about to call uh, someone. My J-J-Jimeration. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't know we were doing uh, this. 
I'm joined by I did it all for the Nelmsy. Yeah. And Blake stuff. Come on, <laughs> what? There we go, did it. Amazing. I uh, was thinking the whole time, I was like, please do Blake stuff. Please do Blake yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, guys, how are we doing? Round the room. Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Um, I had Monday off, so I only got a four-day week this week. Uh, I had a four-day weekend, in fact, so that was nice. Um, yeah, feeling kind of fresh at the moment for the middle of the week, but I'm sure that'll change, don't worry. But uh, at the moment, <laughs> at the moment, I'm feeling good. Blakey, how you doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm very good. I'm very excited. Good, good. Uh, I've like- genuinely been looking forward to this all day. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm liking your Event Sevenfold cap as well that you're wearing. You can't see it, but we're all wearing caps. Uh, none of them are red, none of them are backwards. But we are all wearing hats in honour of the uh, style icon Fred Durst. Freddie D. Freddie D. Uh, I'm wearing Jenkos as well, guys. <laughs> you can't you can't see them, but yeah. Um, I'm wearing uh, DCs, which are so big and puffy that you could use them to insulate <laughs> a wall. <laughs> uh, I've got Batman slippers on. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what uh, Jonathan Davis from Corn used to wear alongside his kilts. It wouldn't surprise me. He's some Batman slippers too. And he's all about comfort. <laughs> <laughs> um, comfort and bagpipes. Um, Two words we... combined. <laughs> that <doesn't make> sense. <laughs> um, before we uh, before we start talking Limp Biscuit, has there been any significant other music you've been listening to this week? Any movies? Uh, Louis, tell us about your Sopranos Odyssey. Like we've been kind of keeping up with this over the last few weeks. I finished it. Congratulations! Woo. And it was, yeah, uh, it, the <laughs> the ending really. I, I won't say it just in case anyone has been inspired to to give it a whirl. The mm. ending really threw me. Uh, I am so glad that we live in the age of the internet where I could immediately go, no, that means something. That's not just <laughs> that definitely means something. Yeah, uh, and then. Since since that we've uh, we started watching Narcos, okay. and you realise how fucking spoilt you are watching Sopranos recorded like twenty years ago, and then you go to something like Narcos, which has I imagine a way higher production budget, and everything just looks like shit. It's like it's 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 decent enough series so far, and everything's in super HD, but just the way it's shot, there's just no. I don't know. There's no like artistry there at all. Everything just feels, it feels like you're watching TV. Uh, so, yeah, Sopranos has ruined TV for me. Because if something like a, Narcos now looks like shit. That's a curse of HBO, great. isn't it? I think. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting because so much TV now looks better than ever. Like, so much stuff is on the quality of, you know, movies. But it's yeah, weird that something. Sure. It's weird that something uh, a little later on, especially like a big, H, uh, big Netflix thing, yeah. would look uh, pretty rubbish. But maybe, that, yeah, that is a testament to how damn good The Sopranos is. Yeah, exactly. Um, did you have a favorite episode of Sopranos? Uh, I did. I did love Paulie and Christopher in the woods. <laughs> It's so good, isn't it? <laughs> that was wonderful. I loved. Uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that Christopher released a film i think i think on the first the first time we mentioned it on the podcast i was like i just yeah. want him to have a movie career i was so, I was just trying to keep a straightest face when you were saying about that because like you get all the stuff with ben kingsley 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I read also with um, what's his face's son, the one who's like an idiot, um, like the mob boss, but it's oh, his son. On. Yeah, his son, the producer. He's just an idiot and normally does porn movies. Yeah. I mean, doing, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> Um, also, ben Kingsley as well is one that, uh, like, I did not recognise him in the slightest until I pictured a small goatee. I was like, oh, yeah, him. <laughs> uh, the moment you said as well that you were watching Sopranos, like, all I could think about was when you finally got to that David Lee Roth cameo. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure you guys have mentioned it before. And I probably paid no attention to it because I had no context. <laughs> yeah, because I think I was saying the fact that because Frankie Valli is in it playing a gangster. Yeah. That his music can't exist in that world. Uh, because Frankie <laughs> Valli, I can't remember what it was now, but yeah. Or they played his music, which means Frankie Valli exists as well as this <laughs> gangster played by Frankie Valli. Isn't it? He's one of uh, Phil Leotardo's men, I think. <laughs> oh, but then by that logic, does, does a lot of Bruce Springsteen's music exist as we know it then? I don't think they play well, any in the show, though, do they? Because um, is it, is it, is it great what, what's the guitarist's name? Sorry, I forget. Uh, Steven Van, Van Zant. Steve Van Zant, that's it. Yeah, um, superb. He, he he plays uh, one of the <laughs> mafiosos in. He plays the best mafioso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just it, it's like he's constantly doing like an impression of Robert De Niro gurning. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but so by you can't you can't then, see it, but we're we're all doing we're all impressions going. now. It's, yeah. it's really good for an audio <laughs> format. Yeah, we're all going. St. Louis who's just rubbing things into his gums, then going. Um, <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, so d- by that logic, does Bruce Springsteen's music exist within the universe of surprise? Well, I don't think we hear any in the show, so we can't say. Whereas I think Frankie Valley, we do hear one of his songs in it, which begs well, the question. This this always makes me think of uh, so in in the new Spider Man movies, right? Mm. Peter Parker's a huge Star Wars nerd, and they talk about like the Lego Death Star and this and that. Yeah. Now surely he recognizes Nick Fury <laughs> as Mace Windu, or wouldn't you at least think he's like, oh, this this guy looks a lot like Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah, but uh, Mace Windu doesn't have an eye patch, does he? Yeah, oh, or, or facial yeah, hair. Sorry, and you've never yeah, seen Nick Fury right. in robes, I don't think. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was rewatching um, brown robes. I was rewatching Endgame, uh, and at the very end, when everyone comes back through the portals, they catch Nick Fury off guard. And he's in his bathrobe. Ah, uh, classic. He's still got a yeah. guard on him. Still ready to fight because he's Nick Fury. But he just he wasn't he, he, he wasn't expecting the call. Because <laughs> um, also, I wonder because in. Um, in Infinity War, Peter Parker references aliens, so I wonder mm-hmm. if he would, you know, when Tom Skerritt eventually shows up uh, as um, MODOK, is he <laughs> going to recognise him? Brilliant. You know? <laughs> I don't think who could Tom Skerritt play in the, uh, in the I MCU. I don't know, I would have said, I don't know, well, he's quite old now, I think, but I would have said like Thunderbolt Ross, but that's gone. Yeah, William Hurt. Yeah. William Hurt's who awesome I saw, I was like, what the fuck has William Hurt been doing this last god knows how many years? <laughs> Generally, I don't oh, think he, I've seen him in you, anything. You mean you saw him in Endgame, not you just saw him? Oh, in Endgame, no. <laughs> he was kicking around the Breaking curfew. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dumpster diving. <laughs> uh, no, I, like, I have realised I haven't seen him in anything 
in ages. That's a really good point. He's, a, he's such a fantastic actor as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've seen History of Violence, Lewis? Yeah. 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 Love it. Incredible. Like, he's in it for like five minutes at the end and it's like, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. That was um, a cool film. Yeah, very oh, good. Oh, maybe don't look him up because either Wikipedia is weird or I've just read a spoiler for a film that's coming okay. out in 2021. Oh, okay. Right. Is it a Marvel-related movie? Well, yeah, it's it's Thunderbolt Ross, but it's how he's credited compared to how he's credited in the other films. Oh, okay. Which if you... But there's no hint of that he, anywhere in... Um, he's Lightning Strike, Ross. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. Uh, well, that's interesting. Um, Lewis, any, been listening to anything fun? Anything else you've had going on this last week? Uh, no, I am... Today, Jim, I am here to skip the support bands entirely, and I'm, I'm <laughs> just here, here for the, for the main event. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will say, I listened to that new Foo Fighters album. Um, oh, I didn't... I forgot. I said I was going to listen to it and start complaining about it, and I didn't even bother listening to it. Well, you asked me what I got up to on Monday, and I said I couldn't remember. Well, that was one of the things that <laughs> um, I did. Uh, uh, no, not for me. Yeah, um, I think the medicine at midnight is like a Xanax. It just knocks yeah. you out. You don't remember anything for the next 12 hours. I think like maybe the first track or the first... No, the first track's okay, and you think it's going to be an all right album. I mean, I think it's... It might be Shame Shame. Mm. It's the first album, the first song I heard off the album on the radio, and it was just absolute like nothing. It was just really bad, but not even like bad enough to really hate on. Just sort of middling. Um, and the rest of the album's very forgettable. I can't think of a single tune off the album already, which I, is sad because they're quite a formative band for me, along with what we're about to talk about um, um, later on in this episode. Um, also, I just you don't, need to have, get to, you don't have to kind of tread around it. We've already said we're talking about Limp Bizkit. I, I just don't want to talk about Limp Bizkit before we have to. No. Um, I heard the most chilling sentence I've ever heard in my life on the radio um, during a week on Planet Rock, which was, uh, blah, 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 I've done a sea shanty cover of Nickelback's Rockstar, and Nickelback have got involved. <laughs> Which, I don't know if anyone knows, there's this internet trend at the moment over the last month or two of sea shanties on uh, TikTok, I think, it, and maybe Instagram as well, I imagine, of people singing sea it's shanties so and harmonising with themselves. Um, and then, yeah, they, they then proceeded to play this um, sea shanty version of Rockstar by Nickelback on the radio. And it's one of the worst things I've ever heard. I hated it. I hate every second of it. <laughs> really really annoyed me because it's not a particularly good song anyway it was an um, intensely annoying song yeah exactly and then like the video is kind of fun but the actual song is garbage uh i mean you do a sea shanty version of that honestly it, it annoyed me in the same way like steampunk annoys me when you see people <laughs> in steampunk yeah. costumes outside of a convention if you just see people like day-to-day walking around in steampunk costumes which you don't see very often but when you do you're like come on it feels like it's no, like both, a, both goggles aren't practical. It feels like a forced trend. It doesn't feel like something yeah, natural. Yeah. It feels like it's it's way too contrived. Yeah. I don't even think that trend is a word that I can associate <laughs> with steampunk. Is it is it even no. a trend? It's just I don't a think thing so. It's not in a way people... like it hasn't blown up in a way like sea shanties have over the last month or two. <laughs> <laughs> um thanks that seems to be dying. Versus now, sea shanties. <laughs> But I don't mind sea shanties in the context of sailors singing sea shanties. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> do 
just applying it to Nickelback songs on the radio without my, you know, because at least given a bit of warning ahead of time. It's just, yeah, it, <laughs> during a time when we're all landlocked, it just feels like cultural appropriation. It really does, especially in Bristol. You know. <laughs> um, what is song is worse? Um, Nickelback's Rockstar or Weezer's Beverly Hills? No, Rockstar. Rockstar? But Beverly Hills not even close. Great. I never liked Beverly Hills. I, I really like Beverly was, Hills. Yeah, I thought they were just, they were two annoying songs about It's also a much more fun song than Rockstar. Rockstar's very like, yeah, we get it, you've done coke, cool. <laughs> it's not It's not a very interesting song. But then he, then Nickelback did that song about coke. I know. Which up, is what was it, Up All Night? Absolutely, was it Up All Night, which I think must be on the first episode we talked about. Or, yeah, Face yeah. Shopping with Chad Kroger. Yeah. <laughs> Classic trip back to the archives. Okay. <laughs> Let's get down to it. Speaking of a man who's probably done a lot of cocaine. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. Uh, tw- back in the year 2000. Fred Durst is who he's referring to there. Yeah. Which uh, I'm assuming. I think maybe one of the most formative albums uh, of like a generation came out. A jitty generation came out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Limp Biscuits. Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. Um, just I'm just going to get the old Wikipedia page up uh, just to get the exact dates while I do. Um, Lewis, give me your immediate first thing that comes to mind impressions of that album. And Limp Bizkit. I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's all I think. Uh, Dan, how about, what do you think? What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Uh, being 13 and 13, yeah, it would have been because like October, wasn't it? Um, uh, October 17th, it came out. Um, but I think did Take a Look Around come out before that? I think it must have. It must have come out, yeah, for uh, around in advance of like Mission Impossible. So, a very specific summer. memory of that because I think it was the first, first single I ever bought was Take a Look Around. Um, while well, I, I went on holiday with my friend and his parents to Cornwall. Like their family invited me on holiday, and one of the things I bought while on holiday was this single of Limp Biscuit Take a Look Around. Because uh, I remember every now and then his parents would let us play it in the car, which I don't know why. If I was an adult now, I'd be like, no, we're not, we're not listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it would alternate between that. I mean, I think he must have had a single of, I don't think it was the main track on it, but it was that uh, Eminem song with Dr. Dre where. Guilty like, conscience. Yeah, the one where, yeah, like the good and bad, like back and forth yeah. bits. And that was the other single that kept getting played, or at least whatever that was on, if that wasn't the single, then whatever that CD was. like the, uh, Eminem LP. It, yeah, it might have been like a bonus track on the on the actual single. And it alternated between those two for a lot of the journey. So that was... Uh, well, the good thing about fun. them is they're both songs you can get a lot of mileage out of. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, what about you? Uh, so, I think the first time I heard Limp Biscuit, well, the first thing that comes to mind from Limp Biscuit is um, fucking dumbass knucklehead uh, fun. That's literally yeah. like stupid as fuck, mm-hmm. but also like not not charming because I think there's like a degree of like knowing to charm and like. No, I don't uh, think anyone's accusing them of being charming. I don't think. But like at the same time, they they can't help but put like a smile on your face. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I've actually got um, I, my my first ever introduction to Limp Biscuit was incredible. Uh, so my well, I'd, some 
someone who I may or may not be related to that may or may not have raised me uh, used to get, like, I think they all chipped in maybe at their place of employment, maybe somewhere else, I don't know. Uh, they all chipped in money and then they would get, like, a top 40 like CD rip or something and everyone would pass it around and you download, sure. you know, cause this was, this was just when like shit, this was just when like LimeWire was kicking off and stuff and like piracy became really easy. Uh, and, galaxy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, everyone would get that and someone burnt off this CD for my dad. And he said, yeah, Tony, he's like, Lewis will really like this. Now keep in mind, I'm a little bit younger than you guys. So I was like nine, uh, when this came out and my dad came home, he's like, Lou, I've got a CD that someone from a place that I may or may not work at, uh, has given me this. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> first track in, <laughs> my dad just hears like the foulest language <laughs> coming from my room. Oh, was it the whole album, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was the whole album. Fucking hell. And, and me as a nine-year-old, I'd never heard of this. I was like, what has my dad given me? <laughs> God, that's so funny. <laughs> and he came up and was like, what is this? It's like, I don't know. This is your fault. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> he gives you the CD, puts it on, then blames you for the content of the yeah. CD. <laughs> what are you listening to this muck for? <laughs> to be fair, though, I remember it being a bit of a shock when I went from the single Take a Look Around to like the whole album. Because I think this is the first Limp Biscuit album I bought. It might have been significant other, but I think it was probably this one. Because I'd heard this, and I'd, I'd heard sorry, Take a Look Around, I heard My Generation. Um, but again, neither of us really prepare you for that opening salvo. <laughs> yeah. Your, did your dad let you keep listening to it or did he like take it away? Uh, wait. Or whoever it was, like whichever family member. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you may or may not be related to Oh no, the, the feds like are coming around. You're secret, like you're still not allowed to swear. <laughs> um honestly like it it was just it's so far it's such a like a vivid memory there's a lot of bands that i just don't remember being introduced to yeah but that, <laughs> that was just so weird also is this don't you dare play it so yeah so so limp biscuit chocolate starfish and hot dog flavored water the third album from the florida new metal band came out october 17th 2000 um Say this album was a hit would be a huge understatement. Um, I was running you through before we get into uh, like our personal experience. Um, debuted at number one in the Billboard, Billboard Top 200, selling one million copies in its first week. Back. Uh Yeah. Um, it's just a word and it's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, as of 2001, I mean, God, I don't even know what the lifetime sales of this album would be. Uh, I think, oh my God, you're looking at like, uh, tens of millions of copies. Um, uh, like, Good. yeah. Six, it's six, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, huge, huge album spawned like, what's that? One, two, three, four, like five hit singles. Uh, of which Roland was like number one in the UK charts, which was yeah. I think probably my first proper introduction to yeah. the Miskit. Yeah. If not, mm-hmm. uh, take a look around just from Mission Impossible Two, uh, which is yeah. a film which is maybe 
aged worse than this this Yeah, I would say so. It's the worst. It's the worst of the Mission Impossible films. Not even close. It's absolute trash. Yeah, it's garbage. Garbage. It's it's all. It's all of John Woo. We're not. We can't do a whole episode on this, but we could. (laughs) It's it's all of John Woo's worst indulgences, um, but without enough insanity to back it up like um, with, with face off you have absolute madness going on at all times so his <laughs> his style it just blends perfectly whereas mission impossible 2 is not it tries but it's not as insane as it should be yeah to, to back up what john who's trying to do if mission impossible 2 had nicholas cage playing the villain in it yeah 100 percent. yeah you'd probably get there but no yeah. um <laughs> also i rewatched mission impossible 2 over the summer real quick and the intro is the most 2000s thing ever. Uh, yeah. Tom Cruise is climbing up the side of a mountain. He reaches the top. Limp Biscuit starts playing. Then a capsule <laughs> fires through the air by a drone, lands on top of the mountain. By a rocket launcher. Capsule, it's a helicopter. Uh, yeah, it's a rocket, a rocket launcher. launcher. That's it, yeah. Rocket launcher. Hits the ground. He opens up the rocket. He pulls out a pair of Oakley sunglasses and puts <laughs> yeah. them on the Limp Biscuit plane. It would have only been better if he pulled out a red baseball cap. Yeah. Or like he had a wallet chain. Well, and you're missing the most important bit, which is, and again, this makes me sound insane now without, if you don't know the rest of the film, because I'm going, oh, it's not very, uh, it's not very uh, over the top. But um, he puts his sunglasses on because they're instead of a tape recorder. So he gets his mission when he gets told the sunglasses are going to self-destruct in 10 seconds. And when he throws them at the camera and they blow up. Yeah, when it cuts into the credits. Yeah, it's perfect, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I feel this album's important. It's it's such a dumb album to say it's important, but it is because I think we were quite lucky. Maybe not so much Lewis because he's nine years old and being traumatized. But <laughs> as this was coming out, and then obviously the week after is Hybrid Theory, and this is kind of like the most, in my mind anyway, the most mainstream metal got for quite a while starting well, around this, this time and it went on for a year or two and yeah I, I mean this this is what i was gonna like say is, um I, so obviously you know this is my first introduction to anything of this kind of rocky metally nature mm-hmm. um is i can remember just being on holiday uh in summers like you know gran canaria or somewhere and every single bar that you go to has a massive tv just playing like mtv chart music yeah and it's blink 182 it's limp biscuit it's alien Ant. like it's just mm-hmm. nothing but pop punk and new metal mm-hmm. and it was so cool and i can remember like school discos going to school discos and limp yep. biscuit would be playing yep like what that will yep. never happen again we had ramstein on one of ours just for one track so we got on um, <laughs> uh i can't remember it was either do has or ishville i can't remember which one it was <laughs> you'd never get that now like you say it's yeah, I remember Madness. by popular demand, like they had to do like a a new metal uh, or rock block at the school disco, so they'd play all the pop. Yeah. Then they'd have to announce like we're going to do the rock block, and anyone who doesn't want to get uh, spin kicked by like fourteen year old <laughs> boys moshing needs to evacuate the dance floor now. And then they'd like yeah, they give you like the five songs to like get the testosterone out of your body. Everyone and line up it, and run into each other. Yeah, then, then yeah. the slow jams would <laughs> yeah. come on and then, you know, you may get a dance if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, every, normally every the slow jams well. just freeze mega mix. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, what, tell you what's the real ev- haunting though in hindsight, uh, not to be mood killer, but I have a really vivid memory of everyone getting really excited at school disco 
when Shinobi versus Dragon Ninja played. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I can I can remember renting that from the fucking library. Yeah. Um, but like even back then, every every single kid, uh, ladies and fellas, knew all of the dance moves to roll in. Yeah. Like yeah. E- everyone knew it. They were fucking dance moves. Can you remember? Like, has there ever been at any point in history? Everyone doing a choreographed dance to Metallica. No. <laughs> like, no. Like, not any Bon Jovi, I can't really think of any. Motley Crue, not Nothing, Maiden. no. Uh, but also, I don't yeah. feel like no one told you to do the dance. It just happened to be right <laughs> in the video. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, because somehow it's, 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 everybody it's, drank it's, it in. It's in the lips because it's like, move in, move out, hands up, hands down. Back but up, like, back like up. the cha-cha slide. Which is the most keep, important what, where bit. he goes, keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Also, that's why I don't he's know what doing like, this, this is why he's but... doing a driving motion. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think but, um... I, I think this song is basically like Chasha Slide or Gangnam Style. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> also, when are we going to get this out of the way, Jim? But we've both touched Fred Durst. I don't know okay, if you have Lewis. Right, right. We'll get. Okay. What? Okay. I don't okay. know when to say Look it. How... I just had. Listen so... how excited we are to talk know, about this. I know. Oh. Okay. So just to get the history out of the way, Limp Biscuit comes up in the mid-90s, basically off the back of bands like Korn and Deftones breaking out, specifically Korn. Jonathan Davis has apologised. The legend has it that uh, Fred Durst was a tattoo artist who secretly like slipped Jonathan Davis a copy of like the Limp Bizkit demo tape or something like that while he was giving him a tattoo. Jonathan Davis was like instrumental in getting them signed. Uh, Limp Bizkit comes out, they have a huge hit with Faith. Uh, but the actual first album, Three Dollar Bill, y'all, is terrible. Um, fucking trash. Even by Limp Bizkit standards, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> they then do significant other a couple of years later. Mm. That album is really good. It has like Break Stuff, uh, Nookie, uh, End Together Now, Rearranged. Huge, huge mega hit album. Production. And, yeah. And they immediately go back in the studio and put out like a follow-up, like maybe a year, maybe less than a year later. Let's see when it came out. Significant other came out, oh, June 22nd, 1999. So like maybe like 18 months later, they've got another album out. And they they are, for that brief moment in time, the biggest band in the world. Um, I think, yeah, I remember picking up the album and putting it on in a friend's car and his dad immediately turning it off after like maybe <laughs> three songs. We skipped, we skipped, four, we skipped um, Hot Dog. But even listening to like my generation and like the big singles, he just stopped it and moved the CD back and went, Oh, enough of that crap. No, he just doesn't get it. He's a yeah, different, different generation, you see. Um, <laughs> so, this album, obviously, we'll go into it in more detail, but obviously, it very much appealed to us at that age as a teenager. Yep. Listen to it today, all I could think about was that a 30 year old man wrote these lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely deranged if you think about that because obviously we're all about that age or just over but sitting down and penning those as a 30 year old man is absolutely appalling like it makes Pour, sense to, pouring his heart out it, it makes sense for those to connect to you if you're a teenager i think and again i love limp biscuit for better or worse i think but the idea of a 30 year old man writing those lyrics i mean like yeah put it on the track we got it. That's incredible. I've never thought about that. I know. Yeah. And I think, I do think that the context of it as well 
is really important because I, I can I can imagine shit I don't know maybe someone that's like just becoming a teenager now listening to this and being like, like why what is this mm-hmm. oh my god um, sorry uh, there's like a whole there's a whole on the Wikipedia page there's a real big chunk about the lyrics I think one of the band wrote this I read it earlier. yeah yeah uh, absolutely um, but. Uh, yeah, I guess like maybe with this as well as obviously like angst, like edgier music was starting to kind of come into the mainstream, like Slipknot. All of a sudden, you've got a bunch of like nine-year-olds in Slipknot t-shirts, mm-hmm. and it's this kind of thing that they found. Maybe this is part of it as well. It's like this is our own thing. We found it on our own. It wasn't like our parents or someone older saying, "Hey, check out Iron Maiden. They're really great." And it's the perfect balance of shouty heavy metal that parents don't like and rap that parents don't like yeah that it's it's just this thing that only kind of exists and appeals to us but also, it, perfect also age. It, has, it has that kind of um like why me uh kind of um yeah woe is me uh no, no one understands self, no one understands self-absorbed kind of lyrical content which is really appealing as a teenager yep and sort of you know it's like an offshoot from like grunge in the early 90s where you had way more introspective lyrics yeah like nirvana and Soundgarden and stuff like that but he's real angrier yeah. yeah but then it takes like the anger yeah it takes the anger frustration of that and like the introspectiveness and makes it completely self-centered uh to yeah. the point of beyond a parody where yeah as a teenager really speaks to you because as a teenager your entire world is basically you, <laughs> me, myself, and I, right? Um, yeah. To, to point where, like, a band like Corn, I can't listen to these days because they are just too angsty. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's like that. It's like, the angst is so cartoony uh, that uh, I, I can't kind of go back and listen to it. The thing with Limp Biscuit is Limp Biscuit are definitely angsty, but it's so clownish and yeah. so yeah. stupid yeah. clownish uh, is the most perfect word that you, you can't help <laughs> you can't help but like have a laugh um another thing about it which is really interesting as well is like yeah it feels it's all just really danceable yeah. right yeah it's it's bouncing it's, it's all super catchy yeah. and like you know just bops along yeah and uh i think a lot of i think that's probably if you want to wonder why like maybe yeah, like metal, new metal was so big. It was because every every band like seemed to know their way around the hook. Didn't matter about like the quality of the riffs. They weren't wasting time with things like guitar solos or lyrics. It was just having <laughs> like a cat, yeah, just a catchy riff, uh, a catchy hook, and kind of uh, and getting you from there. And I think Limp Bizkit, I think Limp Bizkit did it better than anyone almost up until Linkin Park. And I feel like when Linkin Park put out Hybrid Theory a week later. I feel like that was it for like the entire new metal genre because I don't think any band could capture the sound of like all of those bands so well into something so mainstream. Yeah. Which yeah, means that Limp Bizkit's time right? at the top of the heap was basically seven days. No, I, th- I, th- I think it's different because like you said, there's this cartoonish element to Limp Bizkit that I don't think that like, Linkin Park definitely take themselves and their music a lot more serious mm-hmm. than it was them putting out like something from their hearts. <laughs> I hope this wasn't anyone putting out 
<laughs> Fred, Fred's got a couple of ballads, hasn't he? Yeah, in fact, there's, there's, End there's, together there's, now. There's, there's two ballads <laughs> on the last album on this record. Um, well, yeah. not bad. There's, there's a track called Get like, Your Groove On, and the, <laughs> there's a track called The One, uh, which is like kind of like a more mellow. Uh, oh, that one. Love well, I listened to about half of it. Oh, no, it's great. Um, I loved it. I love that. Yeah, I do as well. Uh, the guitar tone is fantastic in it. And mm-hmm. um, the penultimate song, Hold On, which has got Scott Whalen from Stone Temple Pilots duetting with Fred Durst, which I think yeah. is absolutely fucking bizarre. And it's uh, a bold I, move on Fred's part to get someone else who's a much, much, much better singer. <laughs> like than one him. of the best singers yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. genre. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely insane. I, I think that was, I mean, a lot of them were drug induced years, but I think that was definitely maybe one of Scott's big drug years if he was like, yeah, yeah I'll, oh, I'll do sure. it on this Limp Biscuit song. I'm sure. Um, shit, uh, how do we want to take it track by track? We can't not I think, talk, let's, let's we can't do it. Let's, not let's go talk straight about in. Hot Dog, right? Um, that so was a song stupid. where I remember. Um, copying the cd onto cassette to play in the car on car mm. journeys but i deliberately skipped that one because i knew how sweary it was uh it's infamous for, for the line if i say fuck uh two more times that's 48 fucks in this fucked up rhyme like everyone knows that song everybody knows this song um it <laughs> uh, just he just says it with the glee of like how I imagine Lewis might have said it after listening to that album as a nine-year-old. Yeah, which you know is what why I mean? it's like, absolutely perfect. And also it so has like one of my favourite stupid lyrics of all time, which is... Uh, I'm not gonna, all right. Is uh, Swinging on My Nuts is a fucked up game? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Fred. <laughs> I like Great the insight. way he harmonises when he sings that as well. I know. It's, yeah, his, the whole bit changes. And that's why it stands out. The whole bit of the song changes. <laughs> That is a fucked up game. It's like that sort of (laughs) pitch. So, thanks, Fred. (laughs) Guys, no one's ring on Fred's nuts. Do you know what's also really weird about that song? The fact that, like, uh, the the, the chorus is like a reference to, like, three Nine Inch Nails songs. Yep. And depressingly, I I don't think I was aware of those Nine Inch Nails songs at the time. No. It's but I like, listen to this. W- this is almost Which like the Nine Inch Nails song. I think I retroactively uh, got angry at the cl- song when I read uh, it. Closer. Yeah. Uh, you want to perfect drug. like an animal. You like to think that I'm the perfect drug. And uh, Burn as well. Which is like uh, a bit of a, it was like a soundtrack song, um, which probably isn't as famous, but is, a, is like one of their better songs from like the 90s. Oh, I, I, only, um, I only knew that was... Closer. I didn't know that it was pulling in other bits. And also, oh, have you heard? It, gonna... Have you heard Perfect Drug by Nine Inch Nails? Uh, no. Oh my god, it's so good. Wow. It's from it's from uh, the Lost Highway soundtrack, the David Lynch movie. It's yes, oh, cool. it's okay. fucking it's great. Brilliant song. Yeah. But I, I will go on record and say that <laughs> how, how Fred Durst sings those lines in Hot Dog is way better than Closer. (laughs) (laughs) Why hasn't there been, like, a version of Closer where when you get to the chorus, it is, like, Fred Durst screaming it? Like, it's the song, like, beat for beat, Trent Reznor whispering incredibly sexual things. Then you get to the chorus, it's just, You wanna fuck me like an animal! Opening credits of Seven would have been different, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> but then I think it would make the it would make you realise how not fun the verses are in that song. So you'd have to replace those with Hot Dog by Limp Biscuit, and then you're just left with Hot Dog by Limp Biscuit because it's way fucking better. <laughs> Hot Dog. <laughs> it's called Hot Dog. Is this the stupidest um, song we've ever talked about? <laughs> Including like um, black lace. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, so I remember, like, office like cassette tapes, leaving that song off, and thinking, <laughs> "Oh, thank God, you know, I've got the, I've got rid of a sweary song, and the rest of it will be fine for the car ride." <laughs> Forgetting that the album is like just as fucking filthy. Uh, I remember my dad. Uh, I remember leaving the cassette in the car, and my dad listening to it. I was curious, like, "Oh, what's he listening to?" And, oh, he, no. uh, and he came to it to me like the next day. I was like. That mate of yours, Mr. Durst. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah. Likes the F-word a lot, doesn't he? And I was like, oh, yeah, I thought I got rid of that track. It's like, what, all of them? <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you, then you should car. have been like, or oh, if you think that's bad, Dad, listen to this. <laughs> Played in the... I remember I was on holiday with, with my family this time. Never Limp Biscuit holiday story. And... Uh, <laughs> We were playing cards, and I think because my dad's quite into like classic rock and yeah. classic metal, Which and I remember him asking me to put on a CD just because he was curious as to what I was listening to. Um, I didn't get told to stop it, but there was definitely a weird. It's a weird atmosphere when you put a Limp Bizkit album on and you're playing cards <laughs> with your mum and dad and like your sister or whatever. You know, it's yeah, yeah. I think even as a teenager, then because that was probably the year after the album came out, so I'd have been like 14. I think even I might have just skipped the opening track halfway through and been like. It's a bit much, isn't it? <laughs> Even as a fourteen-year-old, I I remember though I used to. It's an embarrassing song. Quite, I used to stay up all the time just watching uh, Krang and Limp Biscuit videos were on constantly, yeah. and my mum. My mate like, used to tape it for me. Mm. My mum would hang out and uh, watch stuff with me. She'd like, oh, that was a good song, or like, no, I don't like that. Uh, I remember her absolutely loving like we, you know, for some reason Lewis doesn't think it's very good, a good album, but. And been loving like whiskey in the jar, the metallic version of that <laughs> uh, from a great album. Um, and uh, I remember her, every time Limp Bizkit would come on, though, she would be like, "This fucking idiot!" <laughs> like you know, she would say, "Like no one gives a fuck about you, Fantast." <laughs> she would get <laughs> so angry at the sight of him. Um, it's hard to disagree with her. I like Limp Bizkit, but I also completely agree with your mum. <laughs> I think he he's one of those he's one of those uh those David Draymonds as well where he's both best the, the best and worst thing about <laughs> Limp Bizkit, right? Yeah. yeah. He he represents the duality of man and <laughs> in a struggle. I love Fred. Do you know what? This he is like the human equivalent of the, of the film The Devil's Advocate. Because whenever I watch Devil's Advocate, I, I half of me thinks oh, this is a brilliant movie and the other half thinks this is absolute trash. <laughs> and it's terrible, but I watch it every time it's on. And I feel like with Limp Bizkit, I will never stop listening to them. But also, I can't tell anymore how I feel about do Fred Durst. Li- oh, do Limp Bizkit have camp value? Is that it? Is it camp? Like I think it's just from when I grew up, to be honest. I feel like it's just... Because, like, like, in, like, the, like, classical definition of, like, camp, I think there's been, like, a... Yeah, it's kind of been... What his words evolve, but like I think if you look at like really initial like definitions of camp, it's stuff which is like kind of bad and kind of awful, but it's like mm. you can't not enjoy it and be sucked into it, and it's got like it's like a really hard quality to define. 
Yeah. And there is something and like yeah. that with Limp Bizkit. It, it's like, they're like, it's like a movie like Showgirls. Not a good movie, <laughs> but like it's a cult classic that people Yeah, that's go kind of what I was thinking for, of. With, right? Yeah, maybe Devil's Advocate's too good. But yeah. No, that, no, it's not. <laughs> but, but is it? Watch it again. Maybe you'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I, can I touch on one thing then before we, before we really get into this? Yeah. Um, I don't know what the, we've been doing. If we, we've been saying we're going to get into it for the last <laughs> nearly an hour, I think. Anyway, sorry, Luke, go on. There's so much to talk about before it's we like even the get to the song. This is like the commentary where they keep saying it's the turning point in the film. They <laughs> <laughs> say it about like 20 times. Can we just address how unnecessary both the intro and the outro are on this album? Oh, yeah, completely. What are you on about? Like, how do you hot, know when it's starting? Hot dog. <laughs> hot dog. It has like it's the perfect yep. opening track ever. I was thinking this today. It even sounds like an opening intro track. I know. I have no idea why you'd put an opener before such an obvious opener. Because the ladies and gentlemen bit is at the start of Hot Dog, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like he didn't know there was going to be an intro track. I reckon DJ Leaf will snuck that in there. <laughs> I've been oh. working on this. So I need something else to do <laughs> apart from the scratch solo in uh, my generation. <laughs> But I feel like that is because um, Significant Other has an intro track as well, mm-hmm. uh, also called Intro, but it's only like thirty-eight seconds. Uh, I can't remember how it goes though. Um, and so does Three Dollar Bill. In fact, I think all of our albums have intro tracks. <laughs> okay, Do you think it's to pad out the length? Yeah. Oh, oh God. Yeah. But uh, results may vary. Has got a uh, intro track called Reentry. Ooh. Gold Cobra has Introba. That, that's and, genius. And Outroba. <laughs> yeah, but it also has Outroba. So. Outroba. <laughs> she isn't quite as... Uh, yeah. I think that's one of the things with Limp Bizkit. They did this album and it was huge. And then I can't... I, I was In my head I was comparing it to someone else and I can't remember who it was now. But And then they sort of completely fumbled everything going forwards after this album. So I think it's really... And lost momentum. I think a huge... A couple of things was, one, uh, Wes Borland left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think for, like, as much as you would want to take the piss out of it, Miska, I think there was, like, this idea that Wes Borland was somehow, like, this creative genius who was maybe in on the joke and he was better than the band... And there was something about him which was just like, oh, okay, and if he gets away from Limp Bizkit, he's going to do something amazing. He never mm. actually did at all. Uh, let's, let's just address this right now. Um, so Wes Borland is the guitarist in Limp Bizkit, if you're yeah. familiar with him. And he's fucking incredible. Yeah. He is an insanely talented guitarist, mm-hmm. like way, way beyond what you hear in Limp Bizkit. But even what he's doing in Limp Bizkit is so interesting and it's such a strange use of the guitar. Like, it doesn't sound... If, even if you if you look at every other new metal band, right, even the closest bands to Limp Bizkit, the, the way the guitar's played isn't particularly creative. Like, um, even, shit. Like, the Park. most interesting thing Lincoln Park, did was just right? down-tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, like... It's cool, whatever, but the things that he's doing in Limp Bizkit are absolutely awesome, and it's way more deserving than a band like this like, like, should have. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's perfect. Would you That's say part of the enigma, would, I guess. Would you say, in yeah. all sincerity, he is closer to a Adam Jones from Tool or a 
Tom Morello from Age Against the Machine than he is a monkey from Corn. <laughs> I would. Yeah, Tom, Tom Morello is the perfect. Tom or, is the perfect comparison. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I actually really, I fully agree with that. That's what really stood out for me listening to it today, and I think it's also partly how they get away with the lyrics and stuff, because like we said earlier, it's all about the big hooks and the sound of it all. Um, and even yeah. on the stupid track like Hot Dog, the guitar sounds absolutely like just so aggressive um, and so in your face. And it's so like slidey and mm. slippy and like, you f- I don't know, it feels like the riffs are kind of moving around you and there's something unnatural. Like I'm talking about it in like such a fucking artsy fartsy way. But like, no, because like, I think <laughs> listening to um, Paul Nelson, right, which is like the song after mm-hmm. My Generation, which I love that song. I think, again, lyrically, just... It's a garbage fire. <laughs> Which WrestleMania is that from? Is it 17? <laughs> no, no, it's oh, not no, that's my way, isn't it? That's yeah, my, my way. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, we get to that, like, talk about cultural impact. Um, yeah. But, like, Paul Nelson, like, the riff that plays during the chorus where Fred is screaming, like, you get knocked the fuck out, is incredible. It's so mm-hmm. good. But Doesn't yeah, sound like anyone else. Like, when he left Limp Biscuit, I think, yeah, everyone expected, like, okay, cool, now he's going to go and do, like, the arty band or whatever, like the tall style band or whatever. And they thought like, okay, his genius is really going to flourish. And it never felt, it never really happened for him. And he ended up rejoining Limp Biscuit, you know, an album skips one and comes back for another, you know? And well, I think the, the problem, the problem with that is that you hear him in Limp Biscuit in this super accessible, like Limp Biscuit is really accessible, right? Mm-hmm. If you're, I imagine if you were around when it came out, and imagine younger, playing it in the car of your parents. Then it, then, no, but like that's what I mean. So like from like our from our generation onwards, yeah, is very accessible. It's on top of the pops, um, and I th- <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think people want it's like, oh, Wes Borland's so cool that he can do all these things. I really wish that he would go and do something really artsy and self-indulgent. And he did. And it turns out the people that like Limp Biscuit don't want to <laughs> listen to like jazz fusion. <laughs> so it's like, no wonder it didn't do very well. It's yeah. really good. The stuff that he's done is great, but there's definitely like, he's missing most of their audience because yeah. this is knucklehead music. It's, this is like lowest common denominator, right? In a great way. Yeah. Cause I remember yeah. when he came back to the band, he said like, you know, he had, played with a few other people and this sort of stuff and uh i think he actually said he was like yeah like i joined other bands and those aren't my bands and there's some chemistry when we're all together but i've not really found anyone else so he kind of almost like resigned himself to the fact that like yeah this is this is kind of my thing and this this is sort of what works for me he needs and fred think, durst and i think now <laughs> he's quite happy that it just you know pays the bills it's yeah, so fucking fun. They're guaranteed festivals for the rest of their careers, aren't they? That's um, yeah. I think, yeah. So uh, this album make, makes me think of wrestling pay per views because I think two WrestleManias in a row they use Limp Biscuit. So the Undertaker came back instead of being a zombie man, he was uh, a motorcyclist, uh, and his intro music was rolling. And then Limp Biscuit played his intro at WrestleMania 18 as well. Uh, the crowd are dead for that. I watched it the other day. Uh, the crowd, <laughs> mind you, WrestleMania, we're talking like 60,000 people in an audience. Uh, they're going mad throughout the whole show. And then when it's Undertaker's match, then Biscuit are playing. It's, they mic the crowds up and you can still just hear like no reaction to oh, rolling. Wow. It's really, 
really bizarre. By uh, now, though, they... this is this is two thousand and two, right? Yeah. And I think the the wheels had already started to come off. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, quickly, of the, like um, an um, urban assault change. vehicle. I think yeah. <laughs> one day when I'm a millionaire or someone pays me to, I'm going to make a documentary where I chart <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin winning King of the Ring 1996 and the rise of new metal. Because I think this all connected in some way. And that shift in American culture of wrestling becoming mainstream and having to go at your boss and, you know, not, not sticking it to the man. Um, yeah, that's going to be my project. I'm going to have one of those boards with like red strings and like images connecting it all up and like the shift in American oh, culture. Oh, no, it's going to be like a Ken Burns documentary. Or like, well, I was thinking um, there's a BBC documentarian called Adam Curtis who makes really brilliant documentaries, but they're all sort of montages and none of the ideas seem to actually match up until the end and it all comes together and make, <laughs> you get to think of your own opinion. But I think there's definitely an argument to be made there for, for, for that, that shift in culture. That's incredible. So, when when this thing <laughs> but also oh, today. Sorry, also just the wrestling connection wrestlemania x7 like the biggest wrestling wrestle maybe not the tense but like the absolute peak of wrestling mm-hmm. where you had the rock versus stone cold steve austin i don't think you could ever get two bigger wrestling stars again it will never um, be that big again yeah uh facing each other and like the tale of the tape montage that they played set up the story before the match was soundtracked to Limp Bizkit My Way. And it's, yeah, it's like the most early 2000s thing ever, but people still hold it as like the gold standard of like, if you watch that, you will get hype. You will genuinely get energized because it's just, you know, it's like these two icons of fake fighting. (laughs) You know, the icons (laughs) of new metal. Um, What a time to be alive. Yeah, what a time to be alive. Because I remember a couple of years later, Limp Bizkit were at another WrestleMania. They played Crack Addict. They played a song called Crack Addict. Which never even made it to one of the albums. Yeah, JR announcing that here's Limp Bizkit and their new single Crack Addict. (laughs) It was the WWF's favourite band here to play the song Crack Addict. Crack Addict. Genius. God, that's funny. All right, so we're in. So we're we're up to full Nelson now. Um, yeah. Now, <laughs> listening through to like, because I, I genuinely listened to Limp Biscuit quite a lot. Like I did. They were a staple in my CD player. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I remember on school trips, people would have like mini disc players. Everyone had a Limp Biscuit yeah. CD with them for any journey. And I remember as well going on a trip to Austria, and it being really late, and everyone trying to sleep, and a kid on uh, the coach. Uh, was playing Chocolate Starfish really loud for his headphones, but he was also singing along as well. And uh, one of the teachers just turned around when it got to Full Nelson and just told him to shut, screamed at him to shut the hell up. And uh, he jumps out of his seat. You can hear him through his headphones. And he puts the CD player in his bag and goes to sleep. So was this kid just sat on his own no coach shouting like, you'll get knocked straight the fuck out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, is a, that is a ballsy move on a teacher to confront him when he's been that aggressive and that, uh, you know, big dick but, energy, as they say. But, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think what, what what didn't come across then was me saying that I I, reg- I listen to Limp Bizkit regularly now. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure. Like they always make their ways into like summer playlists and shit, right? It's it's good getting ready to go out for drinking with your buddies music. Um but I was capturing notes through listening to like the whole album of just like things that I haven't really thought of. And the mm. first words I have here just say Fred Durst is fearless. <laughs> <laughs> because because I cannot imagine how embarrassing it would be 
to be making so many of these sounds and saying so many of these words in a recording studio. Like the amount of times he goes like, wow! <laughs> <laughs> Bringing out my and nuts even, as a fucked up game. <laughs> Ooh, like full, full Nelson, like oh, you yeah. said. This is written by a like a 30-year-old man saying, why is everybody always picking on me, right? Yeah. Why is everybody always picking on uh, me? But do you think it's that thing where there's a thin line between like bravery and stupidity? So uh, I, I, I he's not really, aware. I feel like I read I this know. in like maybe Metal But he doesn't seem or, like a stupid man. He's not. Yeah. He's definitely not. I feel like I read this in either Metal Hammer or Kerrang. They were talking about, this is like a weird comparison, but... When Smashing Pumpkins did Melancholy in the uh, in the Infinite Sadness, mm-hmm. the idea of that title was like a parody uh, of how people perceived them. Like people perceived them to be a, a sad, mopey band. Mm-hmm. So they put out, they came up with like the saddest, mopiest album title they possibly could. In that, you know, when people have certain expectations of you, even if they're not true. You almost feel like you and you have to live up to them. Say, oh, you know, you think I'm an idiot. Well, I'll show you an idiot. That kind of thing. <laughs> or you think I'm angry. I'll show you angry. Sure. And I think that Limp Biscuit did something similar in that, like, people thought of them as like absolute knuckleheads, and they were like, "You want to see stupid? Look how f- <laughs> just just look how far we'll fly. You know, look how stupid we can get." I think also maybe the fact that they knew they were on to like a hit after like significant other. And I think maybe again, it was like, can we get away with this? Wouldn't it be quite funny just to put an album that was like buttholes and basically called buttholes and dicks. Right. I don't know. I don't know, man. Cause this is the thing. Like these, these lyrics are ridiculous, right? They're at times embarrassing I wouldn't change a single one of them. I think nope. they're absolutely perfect for what they are. Um, but, like, Fred Durst seems to be someone that takes himself quite seriously, is the, is the really weird thing. I think it's almost like the... It's like Tommy Wiseau before he realised he could cash in on the room being, like, oh, it's meant to be bad. I, I think it's generally someone that, like, no, this is my passion, it, and I just don't realise. He, he thinks he's a hard man, doesn't he? I think you could definitely... I think he believes that he could like beat anybody in a fight. Because so, I him <laughs> he thinks about like, it a lot. Because obviously, like <laughs> another another thing with like, Biscuit, I think, which is why it, it sort of bottled out from them quickly is like they just got like a bad reputation that followed them with stuff like Woodstock '99, yeah, right? Yeah, they like they were just set up. They set themselves up to fail, especially Fred Durst, who I think is a dude who was so in love with his own celebrity and so in love with like the idea of being famous that. You're like, well, dude, like you're ski- you're skating on very thin ice because, like, as far as the public can tell, you don't seem to have a lot of talent. You're not very good at rapping. You're not very good at singing. Um, but you are everywhere on everything. Like, you'll turn up to like the the opening of like a foam booth. You know, like there is nothing that will stop you from t- making a public appearance or popping on MTV or like anything like that or at the Playboy Mansion. So I think that everything. I think eventually it just all cut up to them. You know, it's funny, like, you get a lot of bands like that who you think, oh, they had their hit albums, their biggest album ever, and then, like, their careers just drop off the face of the earth yeah. after that. That happens to, like, a lot of bands. Like, I think eventually, you know, you just, you have to have something really good to come back at your detractors with. <laughs> I don't think that Biscuit ever had that in them. I think they just bottled lightning, didn't they, at the time? 
Like yeah. it all just the planets lined up for when this came out. It's funny yeah. you said he's not a good rapper because I think this album and the previous one both at least have one or two tracks that seem to be designed as rap um, showcases uh-huh. for Fred Durst. Um, <laughs> yeah, often with <laughs> well, a much better amazing... rapper alongside him, which is just again that's an amazing I think he's a series of words. Because the, the amazing thing of, as well about like it, because with um, significant other, it's got an end together now with, yeah, with um, Method Man. Method Man, like oh, you're getting a dude who is like part of like the greatest like rap crew ever. Yeah, are you gonna go to? Okay, cool. Well, I admire your ambition. That's fair enough. Like Wu Tang, great. <laughs> with with get your groove on on uh this album the fact that it's exhibit who is also yeah. like the most 2000s relic from pimp my ride i know right it's, it's perfect it is like lightning in a bottle one of the best intros to any song ever <laughs> and you can't listen to it on spotify anymore do you know what i i mean the actual remixed version that's on spotify right now is is bad but there are some lyrics in that original version which do not hold up under scrutiny, even by Limp Bizkit standards. Oh, I know. They, um, there's a lot of slurs in it. Um, I, actually, it I can't even remember what the original it, was. It all, so, um, also opens up with some really say. crazy... So it's like 80s synth, which apparently is one of the reasons why it's not on the album anymore, is for copyright reasons. Um, okay. And then it just has Exhibit going, yeah, millennium shit. <laughs> and it's one of my favorite things ever and i think me and jim used to joke about that at uni all the time and to the point where it would occasionally be a greeting you just say millennium shit about stuff and it still doesn't i still to this day don't quite understand what he was going for there we had to worry about things like the y2k yeah the bug like that, and, right? and drinking while he was pissing as well that's another thing he raps about um, um also another thing actually Speaking of like setting yourself up to fail, because you also get you get rolling like the mega number one hit and Undertaker theme, but you also get the remix at the end of the album, which has got DMX, oh my god, and Method Man, and Red Man, which so effectively that- is like it's like taking a blade, cutting your chest, then diving into a shark tank. Like why Honestly, did you do that dude, to yourself? I had. I did it's not like realize. It's like a Brillo pad. Why would you do that? I, I, I didn't realize until today that rolling urban assault vehicle, which is this is the greatest way of yeah. differentiating tracks. It's which so vehicle funny. should we name these after? What is an urban assault vehicle? What's an air raid um, vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't realize until today that that is on the standard release. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember as a teenager being like, "What the fucking hell is this?" <laughs> it feels it's like a bonus track, right? Yeah. Never has a track felt more like a B-side. It's like a it's, yeah. it's great fun. It's like it's got like a dance hall beat to it, hasn't it? And sort but of also, vibe. Yeah, it's so but, weird. But also, yeah. it follows up um, "Hold On" with Scott Wayland, which yeah. is like a really genuine heart on sleeve ballad. <laughs> And it feels yeah. like an album ender as well. Yeah, yeah. completely. Fucking urban Assault Vehicle remix. Urban Assault Vehicle. It's incredible. I, also, what, so it's... In, in my head, I imagine a <laughs> urban assault vehicle to be like a... Like a Humvee. Like, like a Humvee, yeah, like a Humvee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like gold-plated Humvee. Like in a, a 100%. Proper, like, with with maybe ride. like a Gatling gun on the back. Yeah. 
Whereas yeah. I think an air raid vehicle is maybe the flying ZZ Top car. <laughs> <laughs> but with like maybe. a backwards red cap on but it. But like sleeping bag. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But well, so is it not a bonus track on the album? No, no, no. But also I feel like this is also in a time when there wasn't so much bonus tracks as in put ever, as many songs as possible on an album. It had two fill CDs. Up, yeah, fill it. up like every little bit of space on that disc. Um, <laughs> apparently, there's a bonus disc, which I never got this. I had this. But it's got two bonus tracks. One of them's called Snake in Your Face. <laughs> and the other's called Back of the Bus. Oh, I don't have that like, one. Like he's on oh, a school no. trip or something. I've got oh, the one no. that had Crushed and Faith on it. Yeah. A remix of Counterfeit and then a load of CD-ROM videos. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also <laughs> had a two-disc version of... I, I used to go out of my way to find... I don't know why, but I used to find a bonus CD yeah. version. Of, bang, so I had, bang for your I, buck when you were a kid. I had right? a significant other with a bonus CD, which has... Had, some, like, live tracks on it. Yeah. And then the other one I found, which is actually really good, was um, uh, Sepultura uh, Roots. I think it was called The Roots of Sepultura, but it had the album and it had a whole CD of extra songs and stuff on it as well. Which that's is cool. Good, like that a, was, dude, that's that was a such a thing album. as well. That was such yeah. a thing of that time was having like, oh, we, we need to put out a deluxe edition. What do we put on? CD-ROMs with some like yeah. 100 pixel version of a video. <laughs> it's like, this is the same time that YouTube was becoming a thing. <laughs> like, I think this predates, so predates YouTube, but you know what I mean, though. Like it, it was, it was just before to the point that it was completely obsolete so quickly. Yeah, well, yeah it's but it's like, such a strange thing. I think people, yeah, people um, don't realize that. You only, well, you only realize in hindsight that you have that weird like interim period between technology, right? Where yeah. they haven't quite found out what works yet. So you, you know, you go on the website, you go, oh, I love this band. Well, here's some of their music. Well. Here's a sample of 15 seconds of a song. If you give it 30 seconds to load, you can hear 15 yeah. seconds of a song. Uh, or, yeah, okay, here's a link where you can watch, like, a, a GIF of our music video. <laughs> 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 and, like, also, like, like you know, like, and uh, mini disc players is, like, a perfect example of it's, like, well, you needed the mini disc player to get to the MP3 player. And now the idea of owning an MP3 player is just as archaic. But like, you yeah. have to get they had, they had bizarre, a little more longevity. Yeah, they had a little more lifespan. Yeah, with but your you iPods. To, you and had that. to get. Oh yeah, totally. Like, I mean, iPod, iPod was like a phenomenon. Whereas, yeah. I think if you showed someone a mini display, they probably wouldn't know what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I only knew one person had a mini display. That's it. But I don't even know if they actually had any mini discs. <laughs> yeah, I think I think, I think, I think they probably did, I think, but I never I think, saw any. I think you could like, buy you blank know? mini discs. That's because they were so yeah. small. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, them on. Um, oh man! Do you know? I, I tell you, if you want, if you want to like date this album, remember? Okay, the music it's single video and it's the, the music video for Rolling. We're talking the air raid vehicle, not urban assault vehicle. Right, yep. got you. Yeah, okay. um, that video starts with Fred Durst sat on like a bench. Yeah, a car pulls up. Ben Stiller steps out one side. Stephen Dorff from Blade steps out the other side of the car. <laughs> ben Stiller throws Fred Durst the keys to the car. The band hop in. They go drive. They take it for the slowest joyride ever. We then cut to the band and some dancers performing 
on top of the World Trade Center. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So th- this, yeah, that's job. how old this is. This, this predates nine eleven by like by um, eleven months. That's crazy. Yeah. Ben Stiller's all over this fucking album, isn't he? I mean, he's on that video. Also, I remember as well, Kerrang stopped playing the video for like a week or two out of sensitivity to uh, the victims of 9-11 before then putting it back into rotation. Christ. (laughs) Or I I think when they put it back on, it included like a trigger warning. Yeah. Out of sensitivity to the thousands that lost their lives on September 11th, we're not going to play Rolling by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah, they put, a little, they put a little placard up saying that, but it still had that fellow with the paper bag on his head. <laughs> uh, classic Krang. That's fucking, what an incredible thing to do. But also, it's nice for being respectful. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Fucking hell. Um, but yeah, because oh, uh, Ben Stiller gets a shout out, doesn't he? Where Fred yep. Durst says that he's his favourite motherfucker, which... Yeah, that song yeah. Living and It Up, which samples um, Life in the Fast Lane by the Eagles. It yeah. does, yeah. That must have and been. And <laughs> Ben Stiller's laugh is on the outro. Looping, endlessly. Which is the worst possible way to end a record. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, the outro ends at 4 minutes 50. Instead of silence, Ben Stiller's laughs can be heard, and then at minute 7, minute 40, a hidden track begins. It's a phone call. It's obviously, not a, it's, obviously not a it's like a hidden 90s hip-hop even... inspired album, so it has to have a skit with a phone call or a voice message. You cannot <laughs> call it a fucking hidden track when someone's just put a beat under a phone call. <laughs> like, that's oh, such a fuck the outro, you to the listener. The outro is really self-deprecating because it is... It is, um, it's Fred Durst and Ben Stiller having a conversation and it's Ben Stiller taking the piss out of Fred Durst the entire no, time. No, there's, there's right? a bunch of Mark Wahlbergs in it. Yeah. What? Okay, I've not listened to it for a long time. Yeah. Mark, and there's some, there's two other guys that I don't know, but Mark Wahlberg is involved in that. Things could have gone yeah. either way for Mark Wahlberg back then. You know, also the singer of Third Eye Blind. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a guy called Robert... Drydeck, who is a entrepreneur, actor, producer, reality TV personality, and former professional skateboarder. Like Fred Durst. Like Fred Durst. <laughs> Are we sure this isn't an alias for uh, Fred? Um, no, there's a picture of him. <laughs> yeah, he's mental. got a blue cap that's facing forward. It's, it's a very different person. But yeah, I remember, like, again, like, God bless, uh, like, Lincoln Park for, like, for hybrid theory, because, like, they keep that down to 37 minutes. Like, discretion is the name of the game on that record. I feel like every new metal album, like, it's, it's key component. Uh, and a friend of mine, um, very talented musician, um, uh, reckons that it's like a, basically it's like a Ross Robinson thing, where Ross Robinson, who produced the first Corn album, his gimmick is that, like, every single album has to be way too long. Uh, and so every metal band is corn just followed suit. starts doing their fingers well to get the sound you have to have an album which is like 79 <laughs> minutes long and has like secret hidden bonus tracks after 20 minutes of silence and stuff like that so that that brings me to to two points um one i hate nothing more than skits on albums 
Oh, like, don't listen to the previous so album. So fucking man. much. But on that, on like, because it was it was a real big thing within hip hop, like throughout the nineties, is that yeah. a couple of tracks would just be these skits that ju- I ju- do not like, just fucking waste of tape. Uh, <laughs> two, I'd really like to talk about the sound of this album. Um, but how so amazing this is, it sounds and how works produced. Yeah. So Terry Date. Uh, oh. did this and I think that there's something really really uh, special to talk about with Terry Date being the perfect person to do this because if you look at other things that he's done so he's done all of Deftones mm-hmm. did all of Pantera uh, he did a bunch of Soundgarden including Bad Motorfinger yeah. he did Hours Funeral for a Friend he did Science Incubus White Zombie he's... Prong Helmet but not yeah, one... Incubus Stained Slayer but not one of those albums sounds like any of those other albums, each one sounds like the artist. Mm-hmm. And when you think of those artists, you think of that sound. So Terry Day is an absolute master at capturing what it is, like the energy and the soul and the actual sound of an artist and capturing that on fucking tape, right? Mm-hmm. I could not think of a better person to have been there for this record because it sounds amazing it it still stacks up to any production these days everything is yeah. perfect everything is so balanced it doesn't sound like anyone else not yeah. just because of the content but just the actual the sounds of everything yeah. it's so no, i agree completely it really stood out to me listening to it again yeah um, looking at what he's done like it's absolutely amazing because you, you do get a lot of producers who when they produce a band they try and make the band sound like the producer's sound yeah yeah, and I think Mutt Lang. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about <laughs> Mutt Lang constantly. And I think I think Ross Robinson was one of those guys as well, mm-hmm. right? After he did like the first couple of Corn records, and he goes into the first Slipknot album, but like that first Slipknot album has way more in common with the first Corn album, like in terms of like sound and atmosphere and stuff like that. Um, you look at stuff like uh, that Harry Date did, yeah, and like you almost wouldn't know it was him because you just think, well, that album just sounds like that band through and through. Yeah, and even think, like, if you look at... Um, that makes like, me wonder, hours. That makes me question, though. So whose idea was it to have such a weak, annoying, clicky sound for all of the drums in Pantera on Pantera albums? But Yeah, but it's, it, it's perfect. Yeah, it is, yeah. If, if you put in some big fucking John Bonham-sounding drums into Pantera, it will sound like shit. It will sound like absolute garbage. And there's something like Cowboys from Hell is the weirdest production. Like nothing about any of those individual elements is nice to listen to. Dimebag's guitar tone, I hate so much. But you put it into context of the tracks that you're listening to, boom, perfect. That's what Pantera sound like immediately. Do you you hate his guitar tone on just that particular record? Or would you just say across Pantera in general, you've just never been a fan of his guitar sound? I preferred it towards the end when he started mixing um, different amps. Yeah. But it, everything was like solid state for the first couple. Um, and it's got that real clinical... That, that's that album, right? Is Everything is so clinically, like, sterile, but somehow mm. captures energy. I, I, don't, I don't... Again, this is why Terry Date's a fucking genius. Because none of those albums sound like each other. If, even if you listen to, like, Hours by Funeral for a Friend, which came out five years after this one, I wouldn't even say, oh, God, that's such a perfectly produced album. I like all the sounds on it. Because I think it still sounds like... It's got that kind of almost like a demo 
type quality to it that goes perfectly with the music because it sounds like teenagers pouring their heart out. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from. Like, um, he, um, he does exactly what's right for the artist and exactly what's right for what they're trying to convey on that record. So in this, it's super bombastic and everything's so fucking in your face. Mm. That's really Perfect. interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the album sounds absolutely... It's one of the things which has aged the best about this album is the production. Like, it just yeah. sounds absolutely incredible. The drums sound huge on it, don't they? That's because John was taking to the Matthews Bridge. Exactly. But he really does. That's what I mean. When when he <laughs> does that line, the drums really, really just kick in, don't they? It's, it's great. Everyone is very good at the thing they're doing on this record. Yes. Right? We can I talk think Fred, about, Fred we can, included. We can, we can talk about like the merits of Fred Durst's talent mm. nonstop. But he's a good front man. What he's doing yep. on this record is perfect for what this record is. And I think what Fearless. made him like... Yeah, what made him the biggest rock star. He turned himself into he turned himself into a character in the same way we don't know how much of it is intentionally, but in the same way that like Ozzy was in like yeah. the early eighties. I think it's yeah. the red genuinely like the red baseball cap is a big part of that. It's yeah, like the a, iconography, right? Look. Yeah. Have you seen them, Lewis, live? Um I saw them I think yeah, when they played download with Faith No More. I only Sweet. managed to catch a bit of their sex. I think Motley Crue were on at the same time. Oh, that's, yeah, completely fair. Uh, it's, well, listening back to, I mean, I had a great time listening back <laughs> well, to how well, Vince yeah, Neil pro- sounded. Product, products of their time. Here we go. <laughs> a lot of drugs backstage that weekend. So, hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back it up. I know what Lewis is about to ask. You know exactly what I'm about to ask. You mentioned yeah. that you have both... Uh, I can't remember. You slept with Fred Durst. No, yeah. he, no, he didn't go that far. Unfortunately, but I didn't. But uh, we both touched him. <laughs> well, yeah, go on. Tell me this story. I don't know this. I, I did. And the entire time, I kept talking about how he hooked it with Britney and uh-huh. Christina Aguilera. That was <laughs> what if he's uh, going to apologise like Justin? Did? Oh, we can't even get into that. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we saw them at the um, uh, when when um, Gold Cobra came out. We saw them at the O2 in Bristol, and. It was genuinely amazing, especially in such a small venue. Yeah, like it, I can't it imagine was, it. It was absolutely, I think we got really drunk beforehand at the Hatchet because Limp Biscuit. And then that's when our friend Sam was going to, he, he really considered buying a bootleg, um, a scalp ticket for like 60 quid to go see them because he was so jealous that we were seeing what? Limp Biscuit. But um, yeah, at one point, Fred Durst jumped into the crowd. And then crowd surfed around and came over us. We both managed to, well, I touched his hand. I don't know where Jim touched him, but um, Jim, where did you touch Fred Durst? I touched him on his hand. <laughs> I think you touched his hand, yeah. Good. Yeah, we're, we're respectful. We're not going to, yeah. Mm. But uh, yeah, so he came past and- Very shocked the starfish. There's hot dog. Yeah. And very significant udder. That's the interesting thing as well, because he uh, he's someone that, I don't know. I think it's because he, he has that real like celebrity status, right? That he, you couldn't imagine him doing something like that and just being like, fuck this, I'm going to get in the pit with the fans. Yeah, That's I mean, cool I've, as shit. I've seen him twice. I saw him at a festival one time and I think I'd fallen off the Limp Biscuit train at that point at the festival. It was like Sonosphere. Uh, and I remember thinking, I'll watch him, but whatever. And then two songs in, I was fully like doing the rolling yeah. dance and fully involved. Um, but I think you're right. I think he, he must genuinely love it. You wouldn't do that in Bristol on a Tuesday night <laughs> yeah. jumping in the crowd and stuff unless you're really like you know 
But yeah, I know what you I, mean. He's like he's like iconic in a lot of ways, isn't he? Yeah, in, in, in the same way that like uh, if you were to like pull up an image of like the nineteen eighties and you've got like Crockett and Tubbs from Miami Vice, and you're yep. like, yes, that is the nineteen eighties. If you like saw a mm-hmm. picture of like Fred Durst, his back was red cap, like doing the rolling dance, you go, yes, that is like two thousand. Yeah, when um when Channel Four or BBC Two do a I love the two thousand show again, which I will at some point, he'll be on the opening montage, I think. Um, or if there's ever like a quiz show about the 2000s, you'll definitely have a shot of Fred Durst in there doing like the rolling dance. Has to. We, we kind of yeah. get into that weird point now where like, you know, I think you got you got it a lot in like the mid 90s where you had that like sort of um, 70s nostalgia. You have films like Days and Confused and Boogie Nights and things like uh-huh. that. And then <clears throat> you'd have the 80s nostalgia from probably, you know, the last 10 years, maybe a little bit more, there was like, you know, major sort of like 80s nostalgia. And we're kind of getting to that like 90s, late 90s nostalgia now. I think we're kind of on the verge of maybe tipping over to the early 2000s where we're going to have people like really nostalgic for things like The Matrix, uh, MySpace, MSN Messenger, Snake, um, New Metal... One thing I was going to ask as well is like I can't think of a time. Yeah, I think like does is new metal also like kind of the flip side like ten years later to like hair metal in like the late eighties as well, right? As in like it's something that was like at the top, the biggest thing ever yeah. for a few years, and then when it fell off, it became like the most embarrassing thing that, and then kind of came back round again. And I was like, no, yeah. it's just yeah, a lot probably, of fun. Yeah, yeah. Just enjoy it. I absolutely agree. Also, I feel like nothing. This is my controversial opinion, but pop punk really again, like synonymous with new metal because they were both really popular at the same time, like mm-hmm. at their peak. Like when you had like Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, and Corn. You also had Blink One Eight Two and Green Day and Offspring. Like all yeah. of them, like kind of top of the charts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, so those bands quite different. But in my in my mind, I don't think there's that big a difference between something like what's my age again and nookie like i just think they are like dumb frat boy songs from that er- that era yeah definitely I, or like original yeah. prankster or um what's that, the other offspring song which is what's pretty fly what's for a white guy pretty fly for, pretty fly for the a white offspring guy song. Right? <laughs> the offspring song yeah and um but it's interesting how that like um Something like some of the pops of like like Blink One Eight Two, generally like people, are, you know, upset about the lineup and stuff like that. But they're looked back on with a lot more fondness, and uh, and not as being like, oh, they were just like a silly thing for a moment in time. But yeah, even but if I, you if you add up the ratio of like silly songs, silly music videos, things but, like that, there's probably slightly on par. I think maybe Blink's thing is that they were able to transition into that more mature stage. I was going to say, in a way that like new, yeah. Whereas like I think new metal was never able to hit that grown up phase. Like I think no, because then Link Link and Park kind of tried, and they kind of did it. They kind of survived. I think Corn kind of fell by the wayside. Deftones did, but they were never like as big as those other bands. Um. And I feel like, and yeah, Slipknot did, I guess. Slipknot probably the ones that made it. So I think with, with that, you, if you think about like the, the actual context of a lot of these songs, new metal, so much of it is just predicated on angst, right? Mm. And it, like, that is the big 
driving factor is angst. I'm angry at everyone because I'm a teenager and I'm angry because I don't yep. understand the world. No Papa one understands Roach. me. Exactly. Whereas if you look at pop punk, like it is, there's a lot of like self pity. There is a bit of angst, but it's also like uh, just trying to have a good time. There's a lot more to it than just angst. Mm. Um, there's a lot more like learning about life and learning about yourself and, and all of those kind of weird uh tribulations in your own little teenage brain yeah that i think there's a, there's do actually intro, evolve it's a bit more introspective like you could have green yeah, day could yeah. do like a song like about uh like masturbation but they could also do good when it's time of your life exactly exactly yeah. yeah whereas this is all masturbation <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all swinging on nuts isn't it it's all it's a yeah, like game. a fucked up game fucked up. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. not wrong just yeah. Probably stick to you know football or cricket. Because or... yeah, because I, I don't I don't think any of those like somehow Pap Roach is still going. I don't know how that band has lasted as long as they have. Um, but like so many of those bands are formed by the wayside. Whereas like yeah, a lot like Green Day, Blink One Eight Two, they all kind of reinvented themselves after like I think they all saw the writing on the wall and went, yeah we can't keep doing. I mean Linkin Park those. consistently kept going, didn't they? Yeah. Whether, whether yeah. or not you like what they, you know what the albums they made because like their later albums didn't interest me yeah at all but they certainly kept going they were still huge you know yeah totally yeah it's, it's really interesting isn't it how like they were they're both kind of at the same time and there was some crossover but like one of them is just you look back and go oh my fucking god whereas you look back at like some of the like the pop-up bands you go fuck yeah that is a good time mm-hmm. you know Exactly, because um, you because you look back and you think no one looks back on being an angsty teenager and thinks, oh, that was so fucking awesome. But you do look back on cracking open your first beer with your mates, being and an thinking like, fucking idiot with your friends. Oh, yeah, you look yeah. back on that. And be like, yeah. That was so much. No, fun. I agree. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there in terms of the aspects of because I, I I think say so I would never want to be a teenager again. Really, it's just <laughs> horrible time of life in, in generally. But like all the fun stuff, you definitely remember through like pop punk and stuff. Definitely. I think anyway, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah, totally. I think also like pop was like an underdog spirit to it. Whereas, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think maybe Limp Biscuit and like Corn is like the soundtrack to like jocks being up on pop punk kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you're <laughs> probably in right. their territory, right? Yeah, it's like it's like punching down, whereas like pop punk is like punching up kind of thing. Dude, that um, is that is the perfect fucking analogy. Yeah. Although, yeah, you don't really I get feel, anyone playing one of these things about how like, hard they are. Yeah, I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like bowling for soup um, should count their blessings because I think they're a band which is like as stupid as Limp Bizkit, and I think they had a lot of balls on them to sing "Girl, All the Bad Guys Want" when like they are like kind of part of the problem, and like they they are just as stupid, if not a more stupid band. But they're like. If you compare them to someone, to like Blink, they're a parody band, right? Like, they mm. are, to me, the way that I see them is kind of what like Steel Panther is to Motley Crue. Oh, no, no. I, I would say to me. I think Bolly Super better than Steel Panther. Yeah, I, I think if, um, I think if Blink 182 is an Adam Sandler movie, Bolly the Super is a Rob Schneider movie. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> no, I think I'm, 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 they're one of my all-time least favourite bands. So. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't stand them. I think they're absolute trash. What, Blink? No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Like, I, don't, I don't love Blink. Um, oh, but okay. I, 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 sorry, love I assumed, I love I assumed when, you said, when you said Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> 
I know what you mean, though. I, I do know what you mean. Yeah. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. But no, I th- yeah. I th- Ooh, what? Uh, yeah. Never, never really thought about that. That punching up, punching down uh, analogy is absolutely perfect, Jim. Yeah, you're getting knocked straight the fuck out. Fred warned you. Because, like, Fred Durst was saying that, like, he, he was like, oh, no. Like, same with Jonathan Davis. Was like, Jonathan Davis was like, corn was always about the art, and it really upset us when, like, all of the jocks and the frat boys were listening to our music. And I'm like, fuck off. You weren't complaining with, like, the millions of album sales at the time, and you didn't exactly make, like, a big creative change to kind of distance yourself from that either. No. Do you think that's because... If they've... anything, you said, and I quote, I'm here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that comes from the... Um from looking up to like grunge artists because obviously they would have grown up with grunge as their kind of, is probably a, a big influence grunge and hip hop throughout I think, the 90s I think grunge is growing up grunge isn't fair because Korn's first album came out the same year that, oh not them I was <laughs> yeah fuck Korn yeah I was I mean, gonna like, say yeah but like you can't ignore Korn in this because like they were like no you true it's like one of those albums where you go oh okay there was music before Korn and there was music after Korn right like that first album I don't think it's aged very well at all but like it's so so influential mm-hmm. but like that came out like i think maybe like a month or two after kurt cobain died it was like real close god that's crazy that's nuts. such a weird thought man but at the same time so did like dookie as well it's like it's mental like the way like literally like hair metal's there then it's gone grunge is there then it's gone then new metal's there and pop punk's there and then you know they but they kind of like withered on the vine a bit more rather than just like kind of disappearing overnight Man, um, speaking of just here overnight slash withering on the vine so I guess we'll wrap up uh, yeah. Limp Bizkit this little Limp Bizkit history lesson because after this album um, I think like maybe mid-tour or something like that uh, Wes Borland quits the band mm. um, as a result like they, they cancelled the tour they were meant to headline the inaugural download festival um, they cancelled that appearance really? yeah um, which is how I ended up seeing Metallica for the first time because they were brought in as like a secret replacement. That's not bad, uh, is it? Which is yeah, but they were they were they were flogging Saint Anger at the time, so just to, oh yeah, you know, I saw them on still, that when I yeah, read still, still an improvement. Um, they come back with another album after this called Results May Vary, which I think was their attempt at like growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a guy called Mike Smith who apparently was in Snot, but I don't I think I've heard a Snot song. Um, generally couldn't tell you anything about that band it's a horrible name for a band why would you listen to them (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um the big hits on that this there's like two hits on this record uh eat you alive was one of them which i don't know if anyone remembers the music video it was directed by fred durst it starred bill paxton and in the Mm. music video fred durst has kidnapped flora birch who was most famous for being like American Beauty and Ghost World. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, he got the, yeah, the kind of goth girl from those. Kidnaps her, takes her out to the woods and like performs a song and does this dance while Bill Paxton, who is her dad, has got like a bunch of his mates with like rifles and like dogs and they're hunting Fred Durst through the forest to try and rescue Good. his kidnapped daughter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the video ends because Fred Durst also dropped a bit of weight and buffed up a little bit, so he was kind of showing it off. So he's in like a wife beater. But the video right. ends with Fred Durst basically just bailing on the situation on account of like <laughs> kidnapping a woman and telling that he was going to like sniff on her panties and stuff. It's um, interesting that he would put himself as the main character in that video. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, then also, they had that cover of Behind Blue Eyes as well. Yeah. Where yeah. it had Fred Durst, uh, it directed the video again, and the video is just him kissing Halle Berry for like five yeah. minutes. Yeah. Is it actually, I've never seen that. Is that what the video is? Pretty yes. much. Oh no! Do you think that's like you know in the eighties where you'd get some like sleazy ass producer be like, yeah, you can be in this film, but you got to be naked. Well, I like, mean, every, every like, movie. Oscar. <laughs> yeah, point, she's an know. Oscar winner at this point. Yeah, but no, you don't know. But do you know what I mean? Jack, and that's him. Like, I don't want this to be like an artistic thing. I just want to kiss Halle Berry for. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm five sure. Minutes. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, yeah. It's a Limp Bizkit music video. I don't think there's much artistry going on. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, I, I look at the tracks. I can't remember any of the songs from this apart from. I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. Yeah, it's really long. Uh, I think maybe I, there's a song on it called "Creamer." Radio is dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then uh, after D. that, yeah, um, Wes Borland comes back. But by and then, then they make... it's, it's uh, the unquestionable truth. It's like a weird EP, which is like maybe what it would have sounded like if they had been a bit more grown up. But yeah. still, My, um, it doesn't really work. Then they did Gold Cobra 10 years ago. Which is amazing. Which, yeah, I, I absolutely love that album. Um, because it's that's, like the, se- the, it's the, like the sequel up. to Chocolate Starfish. Yeah. yeah, it's the true sequel. I, uh, a, de- a decade late. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> the most important thing with their discography after this album is that they then released three greatest hits albums uh, in 2005, 8 and 11. <laughs> the last two covering the same albums because they haven't put anything out uh, in between them that's incredible is, I know we dunk on Iron Maiden for doing that but at least they have new albums out uh, in between releasing greatest hits albums yep and then oh, there's the much hyped much promised stampede of a disco elephants album which I don't think is ever going to happen is that ever coming out I mean I, I, I think Wes I think uh, Wes Borland uh, was quoted like really recently because I think I think it was um, Metal Hammer actually did an interview with him for like the 20th anniversary of Chocolate Starfish. Mm. They're like, cause, uh, I'm seeing an article and it's like, hey, this album's done, but it's a good time. And he was just talking about what it was like being in the band at the time and everything like that. But um, when he was asked about the new album, I think it sounded like he was like, yeah, don't hold your breath. Don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So. Fred's a perfectionist. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. It's like it's like a Chinese Axel democracy Rose. or. Um, or tools for inoculum, you know, it's, it'll be done when it's done. Yeah. So Chocolate Starfish being 20 years old didn't make me feel very old, but um, Gold Cobra being almost 10 years old uh, was a bit of a shock. I think it's almost exactly 10 years old next month. Well, um, I think I can't we, believe it's been out for 10 years. Well, we all, I think maybe it was just after that album came out that I met you guys. Yeah, I think, yes. I think the big difference. The big difference is because I don't like 20, the fact that some 20, 20, years, 20 years ago, none of us knew each other, and we were all, you know, we were all in school. We hadn't even really hit puberty properly yet. Yeah. Um, and ten years ago, we were all we you know we were still friends. Without seen, drinking. Yeah, it, just very marked. different, very different situations in our life when you think about it, and like how different things are between now and then. But like we were still, you know. So that's for 10 years, it goes really fast, right? Wow. You have less incremental like changes over that period of time, I guess. Just off Enemy, Gold Cobra, 1 out of 10. Oh, fuck Enemy. 
Fuck yeah. Go, go bust. That's really <laughs> funny. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That oh this is it's been such a just talking about this is just so nostalgic. And even even talking about Gold Cobra when we yeah, were first like going it. out together. It's like therapy, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy, man. <laughs> Um, I think I think I think we might have to talk about a few more new metal albums. Like, because I was like, is this a, is this one of our shit list albums? I'm like, I don't think it is, no. but also it no. is. I, I would say both but it is and it isn't. Again, it's Schrodinger's album. It's both <laughs> Schrodinger's dirt. <laughs> both brilliant and shit at the same time. Mm. Like, I was looking at the track listing for Gold Cobra though, and like Shotgun, okay. Douchebag. Uh, Killer and you, and it's like. Well, we'll wait oh, for the man. 20th anniversary of that album before we talk about it, so don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, like, I mean, Gold is going to be a shitless album, surely. If uh... I think we need to, uh, I think we need to dive into another like 2000s classic, if it, whether it's mm-hmm. metal or a pop punk record. I reckon. I think gotta... at some point we should talk about Papa Roach Infest. I think that'd be a really fun one to fuck. Yes, talk about. Um, I, I don't know if I could do a whole episode of that because like, that album had like zero impact on me but I'm happy to I would like to hear what you guys think of it it would be quite cool to do a also rounds on like from that era like mm, yeah. covering like hey um, Infest uh, Alien Ant Farms record yep um, 100% just like all the other new metal bands um, we just end up talking about I, Tony Hawk's if we were going to talk about a corn record Great. what would it be <laughs> about a what if we're gonna do a Link, if we do a Lincoln Park uh, album for here, obviously Hybrid Theory. If it's Slipknot, we're probably talking either Slipknot or Iowa, right? From like this era, mm-hmm. the, pro- Toxicity. Yeah, this is like our Hall yeah. of Fame, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. White Pony uh, all around the fur yeah. Hall of Fame candidates. Uh, if we're doing like yeah, um, what Corn album is like our our Hall of Fame Corn album? Would it be the uh, first Corn album? Would it be uh, Follow the Leader? Well, I would have nothing to talk about because I've never enjoyed <laughs> corn. That's really. I'd be, a, I'd be a passenger in that car. I used to, I I used guess to it would love... be follow the leader, but it's not their best. Yeah, it was their biggest, but it's not their best. Mm. Um, I always liked issues. I, mean, I always thought that was my favourite one. I always, I've always liked Untouchables. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's kind of when they start moving into other sounds. Maybe um, they're like the Cannibal Corpse of new metal, you know. You're not going to say this is the best album, but you go, oh, okay, I get it. You know, this is yeah, the one. I think <laughs> got, like, yeah, and I think again, like we've talked about, we've kind of just kept moving and not necessarily changing a huge amount, but changing enough. I don't know. I feel corner um, funny because like going. every every couple. But I mean, they of did years, dubstep they, stuff, didn't they? So maybe yeah, they every have, couple of years they go, they oh, do a, like God, yeah. a big let's get back into the mainstream album. Then they go back and say, oh no, here's us going back to our roots album, and they alternate every couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously working for them. They, they seem to be consistently like popular, but. Yeah, I'm very out of a loop with the corn. Uh, yes, yeah, I don't know who's in the band or who's, you know. Oh, well, it's like it's, it's it's everyone apart from the drummer. Like because um, head came back, Fieldy's still in there, Monkey's still in there, John Day's still in there. We talk about the drummer constantly yeah, because still in there. Cause he because ha- he has to be airlifted into his drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think. Should we, yeah, should we do an out? Should we do an outro? An outro, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, what I, what I'll do is instead of saying anything to wrap this up, is I'll just keep doing it. That's nice. Yeah, good clean take. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard. Uh, I was actually laughing by the end of that. That's so fucking stupid. Um, please, please, please share it with a friend. Spread the yeah. love. Um, that's Let the ben best Stiller thing know. you could do for us. Let Ben still know. The, the absolute best thing that you can do for us, if you do like this, is let someone else know about it. The more people that listen to this, that's really, really cool. It's nice knowing that people want to hear us talk about Limp Biscuit for two fucking hours. Uh, <laughs> so. This is the Urban Assault Vehicle remix of our own podcast. <laughs> so if, if you have enjoyed what you've heard uh, and you want to check more of us out uh, we are on Instagram where we are at Slowly Rock Podcast or on Twitter where we are at Slowly Rock you can contact us directly where we are slowlyrock at gmail.com and everywhere else we're some kind of form of Slowly Rock but this has been guys this has been such a nice stroll down memory lane yeah. I've loved it I've been really excited for this all, uh, all yeah. week yeah it's great and I think it's, it, this is one of those bands as well that like will be the first to rag on and take the piss out of, but also probably the first to defend. It's like, would, it's like when someone says something I bad about your mate, it's like, you don't say shit. for Limp Biscuit. I'd be like, yep. I get it, you're right, but yep, they're still fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's like it's like a, a sibling, isn't it? It's like, you can make fun of them, but if anyone else does, then there's going to be trouble. So. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and you get knocked the fuck out. There you go. So guys, Nailed thank it. you so, so much for listening. Uh, this is this has been a joy. And yep. I hope that we have some more some more sessions like this soon. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.